And so has everyone by this point seen the corn dog girl? Corn, I need you to focus now. I know there's an offering going on, but I need you to focus. Have you seen, raise your hand if you've seen corn dog girl. Four or five. Okay, let me prep you. It's fast, and so I'm going to need you to focus. It's only like 15 seconds. I'm not going to tell you very much about her. I just want you to watch it for yourself. This is Corn Dog Girl. Watch her. Yeah, so maybe you missed it. Let me recap what you just saw because this is amazing. She's rocking the little outfit. Did you notice the outfit, the little sweater buttoned up? Did you see that? Bare feet. She's barefooting it, y'all. She's just going for it. She's got the hair blowing in the wind. So clearly mom and dad's being creative. They got a fan on her. So her hair's blowing in the wind. Got the corn dog. She's not putting it down when Beyonce comes on. Oh, no. She's hanging on to the corn dog. And uh, what else did she? Oh, so she looks away and laughs. But then watch. When she comes back, the determination on her face is she's like, oh, no. I'm feeling it. You know, I'm feeling it inside. Is from her nose to her toe. She is all in with that in mind, let's watch because I know you may have missed it. Let's watch one more time. Here we go, corn dog girl. Isn't that awesome? Anyway, I am Billy, and I'm your campus pastor here at Woodside Romeo. We're in a sermon series called Misread, Understanding the Heart of Jesus, where we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Let's take our Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, this is the very first sermon ever from Jesus. This is where Jesus said, I want you, and I want you, and I want you. He did that to the 12 disciples. He said, come, follow me. Church, let me point out, they didn't know what that meant. They had no idea. They left their homes. They left their jobs. They left their families. They literally dropped everything to follow Jesus. They had seen a glimpse of who he is, but they didn't yet know what it meant to truly follow him. And so he goes to this hillside. Here's a picture of the hillside. This actually came from the group that went to Israel. Uh, now, you can see they're pretty elevated right here, so it really drops off as you start to get closer to the water. When Jesus came to this hillside, it was surrounded by people. Like there were people all on this crowd, like a Starbucks almost. They were just hanging out, talking to each other. So Jesus sits down on this hillside with the 12 disciples and he says, if you want a blessed life, if you want a happy life, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to mean. That's what this sermon is. And what he says, I love the teaching because he's like, you've got to go corn dog on it. Like you can't, you can't follow me. You can't follow me and just stand there with your corn dog doing your head like this. Like that's not going to work. Think how ridiculous the video would be if the little girl just stood there. It was like, no, I'm not playing along. I'm just going to bob my head up and down just a little bit. That's what happens when you and I say we follow Jesus. And what that means is I go to church some Sundays a month, right? And the rest of the week, I just live and do whatever it is I want to do. And then I'll come back in and say, okay, I love Jesus. I'm going to go to church again, you know? And, and that's just kind of this in and out. And unfortunately, I think so oftentimes, that's how we do the Christian life. And that's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to this love and life that's different. And so when you and I are followers of Jesus, it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes the way that you live. It changes the way that you love. It changes the way that you marriage. It changes the way that you forgive. It changes the way that you're a boss. It changes the way that you are a son or a daughter. It should change our very community because you and I live here. It should change everything. Amen. And we see that in Acts chapter 1 verse 15. There's 120 disciples at that point. 120 who simply live out what Jesus taught. And the whole Roman Empire 
was radically changed because of the faith of 120. And it makes me wonder, what's the potential of an army of people? Every week, there's eight to 900 of us who gather. What's the potential of just one church community in this area? And then what's the potential of 14 campuses in this region of greater Detroit? What's the potential? Isn't that incredible? That's what Jesus is talking about here. And what I want you to do is we look at how Jesus' words still change the way people live and love. I want you to look at Matthew 5, 21. Jesus has already covered the Beatitudes. We covered that a couple weeks ago. He said, if you want to bless life, Here's how it's going to look. Blessed are those who, and he had all these phrases. Well, look at verse number 21. He said, well, before we get there, look at verse 20. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's the setting. Jesus looks and he says, see those Pharisees? They're the best. They're the best of the best. They are so good at living a life that's in line with the law. And see the scribes over here, they are so good at following the law. Unless you're better than they are, you can't inherit the kingdom. And then he bookends that at the end. Look down at verse number 48. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there you go, church. Just be perfect. I hope you have a good week. It's great that you showed up today. Uh, No, I think sometimes we read stuff like that and we can get frustrated Right? Because it almost seems, does Jesus want us to fail? Like, what's going on? And the answer is no. What Jesus is saying is this should permeate everything about us. This is where we go corn dog on it, right? It's got to make up every fiber of our being. This is something you don't partially do. You don't halfway do it. You all the way do it. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to look like. And that brings us to our big idea today. Jesus teaches us how to live right and love right. Jesus teaches us how to live right and love right. And how he goes about that teaching in the verses today, I I think is just absolutely brilliant. If you were here last week, then you remember he talked about the Pharisees. He talked about the, the scribes of the law, and he talked about them in a very negative way. Here's why. It's a heart condition. He said what they're doing, they may be good at following the rules, but they're only following the rules so that they can impress people, so that they can get the applause of the crowd. And Jesus says there's so much more to it than that. This is about the heart condition. So he, t- he takes in verses 21 through 48 the 613 laws of the Old Testament. So you had 10 commandments, right? And we heard this last week, 10 commandments. Then there were 613 laws. They really said, here's how you don't break the Ten Commandments. You've got to obey all of these laws. Jesus takes those 613, and he boils it down to six topics right here. So today, we're going to look at murder, adultery, divorce, vows, retaliation, and loving your neighbor. Don't miss this. He, what he's doing here is he's going to talk about how they have been misread, how they have been applied incorrectly. And he says, so if you want to follow me, which means you're following the very heart of God, then this is what you're going to do. And he sets that up with a very simple phrase. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Nine times he's going to say that. You've heard, but I say. You've heard. A Jewish rabbi would have used this phrase. You've heard. Anytime they're talking about one of the 613 laws. 
And it would have made the ears of a Jewish person perk up. Oh, you've heard? Yeah, we're getting ready to talk about the law. That's what we're getting ready to talk about. Then Jesus says, but I say to you. So this is Jesus saying, this is a new way. This is a new teaching on your ethics. This is a new teaching of this heart connection where I'm saying, if you want to follow me, it means you're going to obey this. So be better than the Pharisees. Better, be better than the scribes. This wasn't metaphorically speaking. He wasn't trying to say, oh, let me just, just say, I'm just kidding. I really don't want you to be better. No, he's being very literal there, and we'll see that as we get in to this. So these six are more than saying that you haven't applied it correctly. And we're going to see two main points today. The first point is you need to check your heart. Check your heart. You guys know that comedian John Christ? Are you familiar with John Christ? So I thought, about, I thought about playing one of his videos, but then I thought, okay, if I play one of his videos, I think he's pretty funny. Some of y'all may not think he's very funny, and you'll get grumpy with me. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to play his video. But if you go to his Twitter feed and watch all of his videos, there's one called Check Your Heart, and it's, it's pretty funny, y'all. Like, it's pretty funny. Here's what he does. He says, uh, if, you ever, if you ever open up your Bible and you take 30 minutes to set up the perfect picture, you know, so you got your Woodside Bible Church pen, and you got the cup of coffee with the steam coming up, and you got your journal over here like you're going to take some notes, and you got the sun rays pouring in, and it took 30 minutes to do that to get the perfect picture, and you're like, oh, you know, just time with the Lord. And you, you put that on Instagram, and then you don't read your Bible at all, he'd be like, check your heart, check your heart. You know, so it's a lot funnier how he does it, and so you should really go watch him do it. My Instagram does have quite a few of those pictures, just so you know, but they were legit. Like, mine were legit. It wasn't like, anyway, he would say, check your heart. And so Jesus kind of does that. Jesus is like, if you've been fasting for a whole four hours, and you mess up your hair and throw dirt on your face and put on sackcloth to be like, oh, I'm so Jesus would be like, you need to check your heart. Because the whole reason you're doing that is to impress people, to make people go, oh, you're so holy, you're so good. Jesus is going to say check, and you're going to see that thing throughout the message this morning. Check your heart. The second thing Jesus is going to tell us to do is to choose the way of God's kingdom. Let me slow down and just say today is not about a works-based theology. If you're new to church, what I mean by that is it's not about let's check mark all the boxes saying you're a good girl or a good boy and not check the ones that saying you're bad so that you can earn your way to heaven because none of us can earn our way to heaven. We're made right through redemption in Christ Jesus. We're made right because Jesus has already paid the price for us. But this is Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, it means you're going to look like me. This is what it means to look like me. This is how you live that out. And so we're going to start in verse 21 with anger. Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of us. Here we go. You've heard, but I say over and over, we're going to hear that. You've heard, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I want you in your Bible just underline everywhere you see that phrase, liable to judgment. You've heard that it was said that you'd be liable to judgment. But I say, verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, circle the word brother right there, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. 
So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So later on, we already know this. Jesus takes 613 laws. He boils them down to two. Love God. Love people. Right? He takes 613. He boils them literally down to two. Love God. Love people. What's the opposite of love? Yeah, I, I think right away you think hate. Well, hate's the opposite of love. I, I think if we go a step further, you would say murder. Murder is the opposite of love. And that's exactly where Jesus goes in verse 21, right? Jesus goes to this place of murder. And then he says that whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, this has teeth. This has teeth. You and I know that if, if you be crazy and you go kill a bunch of people, you're going to have to go to court for it, right? You will be judged for it. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the courts that we have. He says that man is going to judge you. But he says more than you're afraid of that, you should be afraid of God's judgment. More than you're afraid of the judgment of man, you should be afraid of God's judgment. And then notice he uses the term brother. You see, he's not even talking. We get into this later. He's not talking about our relationship with the rest of the world around us. Guys, he's talking about how I have a relationship with you and you with each other. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about those within the church. And he says, if you have something in your heart, if your hands come in clenched and your jaws clenched, you shouldn't come lift up holy hands trying to worship God. You should stop everything and first go make it right. That's why so oftentimes when we have communion, man, I don't know what's going on with this microphone, but it's driving me crazy, y'all. Like, just so you know, if I would just hold still, it wouldn't do it, would it? I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to preach the rest of the sermon just like this. We'll see how that works. No, so, yeah, Amy doesn't believe me for a second. This is saying, you've heard me so many times before communion say, we're going to stop just so you can examine your heart. And in reality, you should push away from the communion table if you have something against a brother or sister, and you should go make that right first, then come back to the communion table. In fact, it says don't even give your offering at that point. It's not an excuse not to give tithes, guys. That's not the excuse. It's not like, well, I got something against my brother or sister. I'm not going to fix that for a while because I'm going to cash in on that. That's not the goal here, right? But it's saying this is so important. Your relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ is so important. You should stop even the worship of God until you make it Right. Jesus says you need to check your heart. You need to choose the way of God's kingdom because it leads to a better life and a better love. Let's keep going. Verse 27. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And so the Pharisees and the scribes were so much like us. Or maybe just me. Maybe you're not like this at all. But I think what we do sometimes as people, 
we see how close we can get before we sin. So here's what the Pharisees would do. On the Sabbath, they literally would count their steps. One, two, three. Because they're like, if I take one more step, that would be sin. I'd be working on the Sabbath. And I don't want to work on the Sabbath. I don't want to sin. But I'm right here to the line. And Jesus is saying, we do that with adultery. And he goes, you've heard that if, if you're committing adultery sin, but he's saying, I say to you, let me translate it a different way. If you start to oogle people, what? you know, you do that. Like you're sinning because when you start to oogle them, you're thinking lustful thoughts in your heart and in your mind. And he goes, that's too far. You're already sinning. And notice he says, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, ladies, I guess you're off. You're free and clear. You can just think whatever you want. No, that's not true at all. This is a patriarchal society. Let me explain this real quick. This is important. This is a patriarchal society, and in almost every area, men were the responsible part. So if, the, if there was a failure in leadership, the man was to blame. He was the guilty one. If there was a failure within the family unit, the man was the guilty one. He was to blame. He was held responsible when it comes to areas of adultery, well, it had to have been that seducing woman. It's all her fault. The woman's to blame. You see this in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus and thrown down at his feet, right? She's dragged right before Jesus. Where's the man? Right? Doesn't it take two for adultery to happen? Like, why was she dragged and he was It's because of this viewpoint that they had. And so Jesus takes that whole thing. He turns it upside down. He's looking at 12 men at this point. He looks at them and says something that they've never heard in their lives, something that differentiates following him from the way the Pharisees are living. He says, if you even look with a lustful intent, you've crossed the line. You want to follow me? Check your heart. You need to check your heart and choose the kingdom. It leads to a better life and a better love. Real fast, men, you need some other men around you where you have some short accounts. Does that make sense? Like, you, you need some men around you who ask you hard questions, who aren't all that impressed with you. They're not going to let you just slide by and say, oh, guys are guys, you know. No, they're going to look at you and hold you to a higher calling. Ladies, you need other women around you with some close accounts. You need some other women around you who are going to speak life and love into you. They're not going to encourage you to go off in an area that doesn't glorify Jesus. They're going to hold you accountable Husbands and wives, you need short accounts with each other. Boyfriends, girlfriends, you need short accounts with each other. Not one of us is beyond this conversation. None of us are beyond this conversation. Which then brings us to divorce. Look at verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say, again, we see this pattern. You've heard, but I say. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Matthew actually goes into more depth in chapter 19 where he talks about in the eyes of God, there's a lifelong covenant in marriage. It's a permanent union that can't be broken. It's important to understand what's going on culturally in the day, though. In the day, the Gentiles of the day, they didn't have to give like a legal separation, a certificate of divorce. The Gentiles basically could go, yeah, I'm done with you. You're done with me. I'll see you later. You know, and that, that was that. The Jews had a higher standard. 
because they had a certificate of divorce. And they were very proud of this fact. However, again, a patriarchal society, the men had the power, and a man could divorce his wife for areas where there was some indecency. Well, what's that mean? It's kind of like irreconcilable differences today. What does some indecency mean? Well, the Mishnah is the oral tradition of the Jewish law. There was just one, but there was one example where the wife had burnt the toast. True story. That was some indecency and enough for divorce. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you're looking really for an excuse to do whatever it is that you want to do. You're looking for the loophole, and he's saying you need to check your heart. Now, let me just, just for a moment chase this rabbit. This is not intended to cover every single situation imaginable. Jesus is not talking about those horrific instances in life where the spouse has abandoned you or in areas where you're being abused. And if you're in one of those situations, just know that that is not the intent of this verse. This verse is not a weapon to be used against you. And if you're in an abusive situation, just know your church is here. We want to talk to you. We want to get you the help and the resources that you need. Jesus, at this point, though, he's talking to the disciples. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples, and his response to them in this, in this moment is, you need to check your heart. You need to choose the kingdom. It leads to a better life. It leads to better love. Verse 33, oaths. You know, what, I've, what I found as I'm working my way through these, it's like some of these are hard, some of these are like, oh, causing me to squirm a little bit. Like, I don't, I don't like what he's saying here because I'm looking in the mirror going, I've got work to do. And then there's like oaths, and I'm like, whew, I, I feel pretty good now. Like, I'm feeling good about myself, um, which then I feel bad because maybe you don't feel good. Anyway, let's just look at verse 33. It says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So oaths were talked about a lot throughout the Old Testament in various places. Uh, and essentially, the Pharisees used this as a loophole. It was almost like when people today, when they're like, have my fingers crossed. You know, it's like one of those. Or like, unless I pinky promise, like it doesn't count. Unless I pinky promise, so my word doesn't mean a lot. What the Pharisees would do is they would say this stuff, and they would say, oh, I didn't swear by Almighty God. I didn't swear by Jehovah's name. I didn't swear by Jerusalem. I didn't swear by... And so they would have all these different swears and all these different oaths that they would have. And unfortunately, guys, we just have a lot. So there's so much more there. Each one of these sections could be its own sermon, really. Um, but Jesus is saying, let your, let your word be full of love. Let your word be full of character and integrity. Check your heart. Choose the kingdom. It leads to a better life and a better love. Retaliation, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So this is a reference back to the Old Testament where it says an eye, an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, which is good that we don't live that because we'd all be eyeless and toothless, right? Um, but this really creates a scenario that is like the Wild West. What would happen is the Pharisees would look for a loophole. If you would wrong them, if you would slap their cheek, then they were like, I'm allowed to slap you back or rip your arms off and beat you to death with them or whatever, you know. But I'm allowed to get even and it's through Scripture that they would justify this. And here's what's interesting. Jesus, Jesus calls us to this whole different life of non-retaliation. Imagine just one church where between husbands and wives, there was never this goal of seeking retaliation. And between uh, sons and daughters, between Dads and kids, moms and kids, there was never this goal of retaliation. You did this, so I'm going to do this. If between brothers and sisters in Christ, there was never a goal of retaliation. Can you imagine how freeing and beautiful that would be? Like, that's just incredible. That's what Jesus calls us to. Anything short of that is less than what Jesus calls us to. He says, check your heart. Choose the kingdom. It leads to a better life and better love. And then finally, verse 43 You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So hating your enemies is never something that you see Jesus, not once. You never see Jesus say, you should hate your enemies. But that's kind of what we do, isn't it? It's the cultural norm. If someone likes me and they tell me they love, well, I love them, you know, and I like them too. I love them and I like them. And if someone's mean to me, if they're vicious to me, if they try to slander my name, if they try to hurt, well, I hate them. They're my enemy. And so here's a real good gut check. Here's how you can check yourself real fast. Right now, who would it bother you? Who would it be that would bother you if they walked through the doors of this church? Let, let, me, let me say that again. Is there anyone, anyone on this planet that if they walked through the doors and wanted to sit by you, you would be uncomfortable. Maybe it's that old boss. Maybe it's your parents. Old boyfriend, girlfriend. Like, is there someone that they walked in and wanted to sit by you, you'd just shake your head and go, no, thank you. Is there something, maybe it's someone who they speak a certain way. They're from a certain nation. They're a different culture than you. Who's the person that you would struggle with? Because the reality is there's not room for any of that in your heart. None of that. Jesus tells us, check your heart. Choose the kingdom because God loves every single person on this planet. And we've got to view this of saying there's always room enough for one more in God's kingdom. There's always room for one more. So I want to leave you with this. I, I think this is bigger than grabbing the corn dog and busting out moose to Beyonce. When, um, when Jesus looks at you, 
what do you think he sees? Because I, I think maybe it's different than what we see. I really do. And I, I know I've told you this story before, but the disciples understand this. All the 12 disciples, they had experienced rejection before, hadn't they? You see, as a, as a young teen, they would have stood face to face with the rabbis, the best rabbis of the day. And as they stood there, they would recite Exodus, Leviticus. They would recite this out loud in front of the rabbi. And the rabbi would look at them and, and say either, yes, you have what it takes to be me. You can speak like me, memorize like me. You're smart enough to be me. You're good looking enough to be me. You can be me. Follow me. Or the rabbi would look at the young man and say, I'm sorry. You don't have what it takes to be like me. Go home. Go home, learn to be a fisherman, learn to be a tax collector, learn to be a politician, but, but go home. You know, all 12 disciples, that's what they had experienced. They had experienced that rejection before. So imagine what they felt like when Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, looked at them and said, you, you follow me. Follow me and be my disciple. I pick you. Can you imagine that moment? Men, let me ask you, do you remember the moment that someone looked at you and spoke life into you in a way that didn't speak to you as a little boy? Do you remember that first time it ever happened? Didn't speak to you as a little boy, but spoke to you as a man? Do you remember that? Maybe you were 12 or 13, 17, 20. I don't know how old you were, but maybe in a coach. Maybe a coach grabbing you by the shirt and pulling you close and saying, listen, you are the only one who can do this, and I'm trusting you to get in there and fix it, but you've got what it takes. Go get the job done. Maybe that's what it was for you. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe your dad was in the garage and said, hey, will you go get me the Phillips head screwdriver? It was a test. Will you go get me the Phillips head screwdriver? You brought back the one with the star on the end. He was like, thanks, son. And you're like, mm, nailed it. Right? And you just felt like a man in that moment. Like you, you knew, like you're talking tools with your dad. And Ladies, how about you? Do you remember? Do you remember the first time someone looked at you and didn't talk to you like you were a little girl? Like you were a woman? And they spoke to you in a way that said, you have what it takes. You have what it takes to be a world changer. You are great. You are not meant to just passively go through this life, but you have got what it takes. There's something special inside of you. Do you remember that moment? And do you remember thinking to yourself, like, I've never had anyone talk to me like that. Like, I'm not just this little girl. Like, there's something greater inside of me. Like, I am a woman of character and integrity. Do you remember? Because that's, that's what happens when Jesus invites us into the family. He looks at you men, he looks at you women, and he says, you have what it takes. You have what it takes to be light. You are like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You have what it takes to change this world, but you don't do it by checking boxes and being good enough. You do it by being sons and daughters of the Most High. You do it by living with the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You do it by living as Christ. You've heard it said, but I say to you, words change everything. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the high calling that you've given us. We thank you for the power that we have through your Holy Spirit. That we don't have to be content living 
like the rest of the world or the mistakes of what we may have done yesterday, but you've given us a higher calling today. And so, Lord, let the person in the mirror be changed by your truth. Let our homes be impacted in the way that we love each other in our homes. Let our schools be changed, our workplaces be turned upside down. Lord, let this community take note that we're a bunch of people who love each other and care for each other, and we love you as our Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may stand as we sing.